Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. And Colorado Rockies baseball has been quite a bit more exciting as of late, hasn't it? They've been playing... We've talked about this a little bit. The team really, for about a month, month and a half, has been playing much better baseball. Uh, Some of it hasn't resulted in wins, like when they still got swept in L.A. despite playing three pretty solid baseball games. It's, you know, we've talked about this, how the team has just put themselves into such a deep hole with some of their play throughout May and June and losing a bunch of winnable baseball games. But, and I was weighing this back and forth, and I still think the team should do some selling, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Let's look at the landscape. You've got to always continue to update and and take a look at it, right? And now after handling the Padres yet again, and quite frankly, I didn't think they'd be able to do that. Uh, I think you all heard me say that I thought, you know, at some point the other shoe's going to drop on here. You don't continue to to dominate, as I think a lot of you saw me uh, send out the tweet that says, you know, now this goes back to the Rockies have not had a losing record in, in a season against the Padres since 2015. And not only that, but they've been solidly handling them over the last several years. And so by taking three out of four here in this most recent set, uh, they are now 60-37 and 37 against San Diego going back to the t- start of the 2017 season. Now, I will also say, and I was, I was chatting with somebody on, on Twitter about this, and I remember, I remember it vividly, um, the, the fact that in 2019, two of those wins, right, two of the 37 wins that the Padres do have against the Rockies in that time, basically, in, in my view, ended the old version of the Rockies. It was a set in late June of 2019, and, you know, Colorado had been back and forth. They got off to a pretty rough start that year with injuries like week one, Three or four key players, including Daniel Murphy, who they had just signed in the offseason, got hurt, right? And they got off to a really bad start. But then they went on a run, and they were back to over 500. And then they were just kind of hanging right around in there. And they had some opportunities. And they had an opportunity to sweep San Diego in a four-game set. And they were leading the second two games after having won the first two. I think one game they were up 10-4. to four. Another one they were up 7-2. to two. And Brian Shaw and Wade Davis things happened, and they lost those games. And they were such terrible, blow-up, miserable. Like, it just killed all the momentum that the Rockies had. It was the angriest I've ever seen Bud Black in all the time I've been doing this. They were really incomprehensible losses. And the team was never the same again. That that really spiraled them into July, which that 2019 July is the worst month in franchise history from winning percentage point. It's also the worst month in the history of Nolan Arenado, who was playing injured and also really upset at the Rockies for not bringing in help right away, which we all know how that story ended up you know, ending. But 
those two games were, in my view, the beginning of the end of of that team. And really, you can go back to before that and the decision not to sign DJ LeMahieu. I really think that is the beginning of the end. Uh, and, and that story is a bit more complicated than it's often reported. But it doesn't matter. They ultimately decided that they weren't going to give DJ and his agent what they wanted. They should have. And by doing that, they, they started to pre- uh, you know precipitate all of this. But I often wonder if they had just held on and won those two games that would have put them, you know, with some great momentum going their way, they would have just swept a division rival who was sort of up and coming at the time. And now we see the Padres have sort of established themselves as a pretty solid team here. But since then, the two franchises have just been in totally polar opposite directions. But the Rockies have managed to continue to be a thorn in the side of the San Diego Padres. And they did it again this week here at home. Could have four games swept them again. It was pretty remarkable uh, to see how sort of confident and comfortable they seem against those guys. And just in general. And now after that set, there they are at eight games under 500. Still, you know, toward the lower end of the middle or toward the top end of the of the last place teams. However you want to look at it, right? Though I know Arizona is technically in last place. But it's interesting, Ray. Because now you've got the Pirates coming to town. They're playing well. And if you sweep the Pirates, you're five games under 500 going into the All-Star break. And I know there are fans out there who probably be super frustrated by that, which always kind of makes me laugh. Because rooting for your own team to lose is certainly a, a thing you can choose to do. But it, it doesn't oftentimes lead to anything better. And and so this this notion that they should be there there should be a, a race for the bottom has always kind of been interesting to me, especially in baseball, where number one overall draft picks have less of an opportunity of becoming superstars or sometimes even making it to the big leagues as in any other sport by far. But what you have is a team that's suddenly looking like they're going to be right around that 500 record that I had predicted before the season, and you started wondering, you know. Because they were playing so poorly at times. And as I often say during those stretches in, in May and June, when people say they keep playing like this, they're not going to come anywhere close to being a 500 team. And that's, of course, absolutely correct. And they've stopped, with the, at least with the ultimately egregious defensive mistakes. And, uh, uh, you know, the uh, for the afternoon wrap-up game, uh, a lot of the Mile High Sports crew was at the game. They came out to the ball game, and I went out to see them all in the middle of the late innings, and and hang out with people and and talk about it. And they were basically asking me, you know, what what has gone on here with the, you know, we thought that we didn't think they were going to be great, but maybe a little bit better. And and what has been the story of of the losses up to this point? And I was saying, you know, it really does come down to those special teams, those big mistakes, the big dumb bad mistakes, and the difference between committing an error and you know it it leads to a run. And committing an error that leads directly to four or five runs, right? And we've talked about that throughout the year. And that's the thing that they've pretty much stopped doing. They're still having bullpen implosions and days when the starting pitcher doesn't have it and days when the offense goes quiet. All of those things are going to happen. But the reason they've really stabilized is that the fundamentals have come back. And they've been playing fundamentally solid baseball. And if they can continue to do so, yes, I do think they're going to climb back to being a 500 team maybe a slightly above 500 team. And this this club is absolutely, especially because I do think the starting pitching in particular is due to go on a run in the second half. I think the team is due to go on a run in the second half. I think Kyle Freeland, Armen Marquez, 
and Austin Gomber in particular are all tightening up their games right now and are going to be much better. And I'll throw Antonio Sensatello, though. He's been he's had health issues this year, so that's a little bit concerning. But he's never really had them before. And, you know, I think Chad Cool will continue to maintain. But I think the starting pitching is basically going to be much better. The bullpen's going to continue to be a gigantic question mark. And I don't, you know, obviously this isn't a team that's going to be adding at the trade deadline. Uh, but it does make you wonder, and, and it does get down to, you know, I'll, I'll give my predictions here and now then, and then I'll dive into the series a little bit. But for the trade deadline, because I've run over, you know, the reasons for and against trading, I think six, seven, eight guys, right? Iglesias, Grichik, Crone on the position player side for sure. And then guys like Bard, Colomay, Chad Cool on the pitcher side. But what do I think they're actually going to do? One or two of those guys. Probably Colomay and Iglesias is what I would predict at this point. I think just based on things that the team has said and and the way they operate, and I, I actually do think that, and I get why some people disagree, but I think it makes sense if Daniel Bard and Chad Cool want to be here, you try to make that happen. Chad Cool, especially, actually, and, and that that's an easier one because it's not going to cost you a ton. He's a starting. It was funny. I was reading an article uh, by a national writer who like came up to this point, but then totally swung, swung and missed at the pitch. Like he he basically said, "I guess maybe it makes some sense for the Rockies to try to keep starting pitching that wants to stay there because that's such a rarity." But traditional logic says you should trade away a player like Chad Cool right now. That's the problem with traditional logic in a situation like this. The Rockies don't have the luxury of being able to say, well, this guy has figured out a really good balance at Coors Field. He wants to be here. He's a veteran with experience and he likes it here. He actually feels more comfortable as a member of the Rockies because he wasn't finding this kind of success where he was before. And if we can make that work for him, then we have got at the very worst, you know, the kind of rock at the back end of your rotation, if you want to think of it that way, right? You've always got to have that guy on your team, and if he's at worst your fifth best starter for several years moving forward, you sign him for a three-year deal at more or less what he's making now, which is about what he's been worth, maybe a little bit more, and all parties involved should be happy. And there's no reason to get rid of this guy just because traditional logic suggests that you need to, right? Because the Rockies do have this unique problem that they have to solve where most guys aren't going to give them a reasonable deal to come here and pitch. And then even if they do, there's no guarantee until you get a look at a guy, you really don't know what he's going to be like in a Rockies uniform as a pitcher. We've seen plenty of dudes over the years from some of the names I just mentioned a minute ago, Brian Sean Wade Davis, to the more famous examples of Mike Hampton, Denny Nagel, uh, Jeremy Guthrie, uh, of guys who, if they could have just pitched to their career numbers when they were here, they would have been perfect. They would have... those teams would have been far more successful, but they couldn't do it, right? At times, Jake McGee. So when you get a guy like Chad Cool, who is the rare exception to the rule, you have to treat him as a rare exception to the rule. Now, this does blow up in the Rockies' face if they hold on to a guy who's a veteran, who has value right now, who is on an expiring deal, and then in the offseason, he goes and signs with Philly or something, right? And then, then you look silly it, it's similar to the john gray thing and they screwed that up right they thought they were going to be able to sign john gray long term they offered him a deal 
He turned him down, and now he pitches for Texas. If they do that with Chad Cool, rather than trading him, they they have failed in, in on this player decision. But if they keep Chad Cool and they sign him long term, that actually makes perfect sense to me. That, and and that is actually probably the better outcome for the Rockies because I don't think you're likely to get a young pitcher who's going to be able to recreate in the future what Chad Cool is giving you right now. So try to keep that. Now, the Daniel Bard situation, as we've talked about a couple of times, is very intriguing to me because nine times out of ten, I would actually agree with the, the general consensus logic here. Again, the traditional logic says you just trade Daniel Bard. And I saw one, and again, it was the same article, I think, and it was really strange to me that the person mentioned his age, but not the fact that not the fact that he had missed all that time, right? That Daniel Bard is not your standard, traditional, everyday 37-year-old reliever. Because, again, most data would tell you that guys are going to start falling off at 38 or 39 years old. But Daniel Bard is having the best season of his career. His arm is probably closer to that of a 32 or a 33-year-old, and you have this same question again of, if your goal is to try to compete as early as next season, which it is and always is going to be for the Rockies, we're not building for four years from now and going to be in the perpetual rebuilds that we've seen out of Pittsburgh and Seattle, right? Not doing that. Daniel Bard, having Daniel Bard on your team right now obviously makes them better than not having Daniel Bard. And whatever prospects you were going to get for him, you are hoping are going to manage to recreate his production for you in the future. Because you need a closer. To be a, a decent team, you have to have a closer. And the Rockies actually right now have one of the better closers in baseball in Daniel Bard. And now he's been this for two of the last three years. They've had him with one in the middle where he really struggled with the home run ball, but the stuff was still there. And so, like with Chad Cool, and despite his age, to me... If the Rockies can sign Daniel Bard to an extension, that is the better outcome than trading him for prospects. It's the big if. If you don't trade him, and then in the offseason somebody does offer him a big deal and he signs that instead of signing back with Colorado, then they've lost him for nothing, right? It's it's the John Gray thing all over again. It's not the Trevor Story thing. They got a draft pick for that. It's the John Gray thing where you literally don't get anything for the guy. And so those are things they, they really need to consider. You know, I don't think they move Krohn or Grichik because of what I was just talking about. I think, you know, maybe Grichik, that'll be interesting. You can listen on that because, because of the way Jonathan Daza has emerged and a few other outfielders they've got in their system. Uh, there's several guys in AAA. I talked to Brenton Doyle on this show not too long ago. He's not that far off. And then obviously the the super star potential guys that are a little bit further away, but still Zach Veen and Benny Montgomery and all of that. So Grichik is an interesting case, but again, if they're going to try to be competitive next year, and they are, having Grichik and Krohn and considering particularly an even bigger extension for Krohn, I think makes sense. I think continuing to build around that guy uh, who, again, wants to be here is a veteran who really likes it here 
and feels like they can build a winning culture, but it's going to take some time. I think that's the kind of guy that you want in your organization. I do think that you can get a, I, if it was me and, and I'll even say this, I'm, I'm close to my own prediction. If it was me, I would almost certainly trade Iglesias, Grichik, and Colomay. Uh, and as much as I like Colomay, I think he's more likely to fall off over the next couple of years than Bard. I, I think that's more of a strike while the iron is hot situation. Um, but you could make a similar argument there that, I mean, obviously now that they're playing better, this team could go on a little bit of run. You trade Colome and that bullpen gets that much worse, right? It's that's always the double-edged sword of that. But, you know, I think if they're going to go on a run, it's going to have to be provided by so much of the other team anyway, that you can, you're going to be fine if you trade a couple of these guys, but the big pieces, no. And I think that that's smart. Now, obviously, it has to be met with the long-term plan. Like I said, if you sign Cool and Bard and Crone to extensions, and they're they're reasonable team-friendly extensions, and then you still have some money to go out and spend on other positions in the offseason, then, yeah, I think you're looking at a pretty good situation for the Rockies. So that's basically my prediction now for how they're going to feel going into the trade deadline especially because I do think they're going to be, you know, five or six games under here uh, as opposed to the 10 they were. And that's going to be intriguing as well because uh, they do tend to overestimate their ability to go on a run and they do tend to overestimate their own personnel. Sometimes that's a good thing. Most of the time it, it, it's a frustrating thing. Uh, but there is something to be said for having belief in your guys and and for the guys feeling that and uh you know with the return of chris bryant as much as you know he can't go out there and pitch or do any of that stuff it does seem like the team has gotten a a a bit of their swagger back and that they're playing very confident baseball regardless of who is across from them we saw it all throughout the series Uh, despite kyle freeland getting very frustrated yesterday smashing some things up and I talked about, you know, how much I love his uh, his passions and, and that he wears those on his sleeve the last time out. And I, and I reiterate, I love that he cares, man. You know, he hasn't given up on the season. He hasn't given up on his teammates. And when guys see that, when it's directed at himself, as opposed to certain former star players around here, multiple certain former star players, by the way, who would tend to take stuff like that out on others. You know, I, I never thought I'd live to see the day that somebody in my Twitter comments called Kyle Freeland a clubhouse cancer, and I cannot tell you how 1,000% wrong that person is. The guys see how much Freeland cares, how angry he is that he couldn't hold up his end of the bargain, that the season he hasn't been able to be the kind of pitcher that he knows he's capable of being, and in games where his offense gives him five runs for him him to give him right back. He's mad at himself when he's doing that stuff. He knows he can be better. He knows he should be better. And he knows the team can be better. And, you know, I'm not normally... It depends. It depends on the circumstances. Why a guy is taking a bat to something in the dugout. Or why, when you show that kind of emotion, is it nonsense or is it leadership? And there can be a fine line there. And I actually thought this was some leadership, you know, and I, and I know he's not particularly proud of it, 
We've all had those moments. But damn, does that look like someone who's given up on the season? Does that look like someone who's about ready to pack it in and go home? Someone who's going to say to his teammates, ah, we're, we're X games under. We can't do it. We might as well collect a paycheck and, and ride out the rest of the year. Boy, I sure hope the front office sells off some guys. No, this, this is a guy who's trying to compete for every out in every game. And I, you just have to appreciate that kind of competitiveness. So, you know, a few other things that we saw throughout the series. Like I said, Chris Bryant uh, returning for the last game. They're not really doing much, but... The, it was there to the, had the family leave thing. The Rockies managed to be just fine without him. So the people being ridiculous about the family leave thing can really just get bent. Uh, <laughs> he had a nice uh, series for Charlie Blackman. He had basically the game-winning three-run home run in the win in Game 2. Uh, that was really cool to see that he's gotten his power back on track. More home runs this year already than he had all of last year, something that we talked about is a big possibility with him uh, spending more time at DH, which he's done reluctantly, but he has done more and more, and he's basically become the team's de facto DH at this point. Yes, it took longer than it should have, but yes, it was the right decision. I think he and the team see that they're reaping the benefits of it now. He's got the batting average back up over 270, that kind of stuff, hitting for power. Like, yeah, this is what we want. Forget about playing in the field. I know you take a lot of pride in the defense you provided for all those years, but it's time. So uh, good on him and them for getting that done. You had a six RBI game in there from Jose Iglesias, who's really playing well. And if he's showcasing himself, that would be fantastic. And I've really enjoyed the Jose Iglesias experience. And if he's still on the team past the trade deadline, you know, I don't think the Rockies are going to get a ton for him in a trade either way, despite the fact that he's hitting very, very well. And he's hitting very, very well on the road. Uh, we've seen a little bit more power from him lately, too. A couple of home runs. But, I'm, you know, he's still going to end the season under 10 home runs. He's not a he's not a power hitter. But it's been really fun seeing him contribute. And uh, I do think he's the guy that makes the most sense to trade. Because, again, his replacement, Ezekiel Tovar, is really knocking on the door. And as much as he's contributed offensively, he's been a bit of a disappointment defensively. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then in the final game, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a total team contribution. You had some funky, weird uh, oppo hits out of uh, Randall Gritchick, which has been funny, you know, and again, he hasn't been the kind of power hitter just yet that they were hoping, but we'll see if they, if they continue to have a place for him in their future and a few more ribbies for uh, Iglesias. But it, it really did come down to better pitching, better fundamental play. The offense has shown you that they are capable of producing like this. Sometimes eight runs, sometimes, you know, if you're at home, double digits anytime. When they're when they're out there, you know, that, that final day lineup of Joe, Iglesias, Bryant, Crone, Rogers, Gritchick, Daza, you know, when you got a guy who's batting 300 down there in the six, seven, eight spot, you know, Brian Servin, who's been a lot better at the plate than uh, Elias Diaz, even though he's still struggling a little bit behind it to my eye. Uh, even a, a guy like Garrett Hampson batting in the nine spot, and he's been contributing lately, uh, where for a lot of the early parts of the season he'd struggled. But that lineup, you know, is obviously very capable of scoring some runs, 
And if the pitching and defense are going to just not mess up, they're going to win some games and they're going to get themselves back to 500. But what does that really mean? You know, can they go on more of a run? Yeah. Will they? I don't know. That's, that's why we watch. That's why they play the games. You know, we're seeing it right now. I'm sure nobody thought Baltimore was going to win 11 in a row, right? Miami had one like that just recently as well. And so if the Rockies will go on a random mass 10 game win streak, they're right back in the thick of, Hey, you, you're, you're in the hunt for that last postseason spot. Maybe. Uh, the thing is they have no margin for error. Now they basically have to play really, really good baseball the entire rest of the way. If they're going to claw themselves into even just, you know, contention for the, the final postseason spot to, to be a part of the conversation, not out of the realm of possibility, especially because they've been playing better lately, but it's, uh, to put it another way, no, they can't go on any other slumps. They cannot have any other slumps as a team. One, six or seven, one stretch where you lose, you know, six out of eight or, or seven out of 10 and your season is over. But if they can keep maintaining, if they can play slightly above 500 baseball <laughs> you know, for the rest of the way, they're, they're going to end right in that area. It's going to be fascinating to watch how this goes. Because I do think, especially the starting pitching, as I said, it's going to tighten up. I don't think the offense is going anywhere. Uh, even if you trade Iglesias, that doesn't kill your offense and Gritchick by any means. Uh, you, you've still got guys there who can do some things. Uh, the bullpen would be the one thing that I worry about. If you trade Colomay, the bullpen's only going to get worse. Everyone after Bard out there is a question mark. Remember that the team has done a lot of this stabilizing without Tyler Kinley, which is super frustrating because with him, you've probably won another game or two and, and you really are sort of back into the mix of it. But got to take right now, actually got to take advantage of this Pirates thing. The biggest thing to giving yourself momentum, if, if that's what people out there want, if you're, if again, if that's what the team wants, if it's not about looking to the future yet, if I was getting ahead of myself with all the sell, sell, sell stuff. They almost have to sweep Pittsburgh. They certainly have to beat them this weekend. They, they've got to take at least two of these games. But if they sweep them, they win all three. You can tell yourself some things, can't you? <laughs> you can convince yourself of some things. Uh, coming out of the All-Star break, they'll have four in Milwaukee leading that division. And then they'll come home for a couple against the White Sox, and more games against the Dodgers. But if that is a stretch where you get confident, if for whatever reason they come out of the All-Star break playing well, they take two of four in Milwaukee from a division leader, they take both games against the White Sox, and then four against LA at home, you win three of those, and suddenly you're, you're a team floating around 500 going into August who just took a set from the Dodgers. You feel pretty good about the club going into August. Like that's a, you know, kind of a best case scenario, I think for the team. So, but you got to take, you got to take advantage of this Pittsburgh series and they basically got to pay them back. This is one of the few times they've got an opportunity to, to get some of those games back that they dropped early in the season in Pittsburgh or against Kansas city or Washington that they absolutely should not have. So, a sweep here would go a little bit of a way toward doing that. 
Let me know what you think. If, if you think the Rockies actually have a chance to get back in it here, if you're worried. That, and I, I don't think this honestly impacts how much they were going to sell one way or the other. Uh, they've, As Bill Schmidt came out and said, you know, we've never been huge sellers and, and we're not going to be. And they're not going to, basically what I read between the lines on his comments was, we're not trading CJ Crone, everybody. <laughs> Which, yeah, you know, I think it's, well, we can do this another time, but I just don't think it's good for baseball that it's become automatic that if you're under 500 at the trade deadline, you have to trade your only all-star. You're an idiot. Uh, that's bad for baseball. However much truth there is to that, and I, I don't think it's as true as people would have you believe, but even if it was, even if that was 100% true, that's gross. That's not good for the game. And so I like that the Rockies stand up and go, no. No, we actually don't have to trade our best player just because everyone thinks that we do. Especially because he's still under contract next year. And we're trying to win baseball games. So, see what happens here. Uh, let me know what you think they're going to do, what you want them to do, how you think this final stretch is going to go, if they can get back into it. All of that good stuff. Hit me up on Twitter, at Drew Creaseman. You can always slide into the DMs and ask me about the Discord channel. Make sure you're hanging out with us on Twitter and on the podcast app and reading all the written content over at milehighsports.com other than that i can only ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman in here and until next time i will see you at the ball Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.